welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Chapter 10 is where we are, uh, verses 19 through 26 is uh, where we are. This morning, we're going to continue to look at our one another passages from the New Testament. Uh, There are numerous passages in the New Testament describing how the church, how we as the people of God are better when we are together. And Jesus commanded his disciples the night he was betrayed. uh, He commanded his disciples. He says, this new commandment that I give you is to love one another. And Jesus tells us that. And all throughout the New Testament, we see how this love plays out, how this new commandment plays out, how we fulfill the law of God in the way that we love one another. And so this is how we love one another. We've talked about a few of these things. There's some, by the way, 50-something passages in the New Testament uh, that talk about loving one another um, and living life with one another. And so we would be here for years if we were to unpack all of those. But here are some that we looked at. We bear with one another. We bear one another's burdens. We welcome one another. We forgive one another. We consider one another. We fellowship with one another. We greet one another. We live at peace with one another. We're kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another. We comfort one another. We exhort one another. We sing with and to one another. And yes, some 50 times we hear this in Scripture. All of that to say, we are better together because if we live out the life that we have been called to live, this commandment to love one another, we must do it together. And so this morning, we're going to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, and we'll consider, you have maybe have heard in this passage, there's a couple other one another's, that we are to stir up one another to love and good works, stir up to love and good works, not just to stir up one another, not just to stir the pot with one another, we're to stir up one another to love and good works, we're to encourage one another, and though it doesn't quite say one another, we are to meet together with one another as the day draw near. Recently, I began reading a book. I've through the first part of the book right now, and so far I recommend it. It's a research-based book called uh, The Great Dechurching. And here's what they talk about in The Great Dechurching. Over the past 25 years, st- statistically, it was all research-based with some of the best researchers uh, that we have. Uh, over, the best 20, over the last 25 years, statistically, listen to this, the American church is seeing the fastest change that it has ever seen in United States history. The fastest change in United States history in the American church is happening right now in your lifetime. You are living one of the fastest changes in the church in American history history. The last time a shift like this took place, at least of this magnitude took place, was in the decades following the Civil War. In those decades that followed the Civil War, the American church saw church attendance double in the positive direction. And that's probably because after a war, after chaos like that, people began returning to the Lord and they began returning to their normal schedules, returning home. And so they began showing up 
again at church. So after the American Civil War, as things got back to normal, the, the, the church doubled in attendance over those following decades at a record-breaking pace. What we are seeing now in this last 25 years is not a doubling of attendance. Rather, are you listening to this, the fastest decline in church attendance in U.S. history. More than 40 million people have stopped attending church. The habit is now to not meet together, as the Bible talks about, as is the habit of some. This is a huge habit for many today. Some 40 million people, yes, 40 million fewer people are not meeting together on Sunday mornings as they were some 25 years ago. New habits have formed. The trend picked up steam in the mid-1990s about the time that the megachurch trends peaked, and it hasn't slowed yet. In fact, membership has declined by a third across traditions. I give you bad news up front like that, but we're going to have some hope here as we draw this to a conclusion here in a little bit. Here's some other interesting facts that I've learned so far. It's boomers that are de-churching, meaning they once attended church and they were once, they were not, they're not unchurched, they grew up in the church and they have some history in the church. Boomers are the largest number. Boomers who are politically conservative are the largest numbers who are stepping away from the church. Now, for sure, some have left because of hurt or conflict, but listen to this, the research is showing that many walk away simply casually. Something changed, they either moved, sports schedules, pandemic rhythms, something has caused them just casually to change their habits, and now their habit has been to no longer meet together, some 40 million people. The results of this will yet play out, but you have to think about the impact that this will have on families, the impact that this will have on communities, because Christians offer wonderful services even to communities. You have to think about the next generation. That's what's assumed in one generation is lost in the next. So the de-churched are now raising generations of kids who are now unchurched, who have no concept or experience of church. Think about giving as we think about giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, the statistics show that church members usually give about 2.5% of their income uh, to a local church. Um, so this means if 40 million have left, there is $24.7 billion that is no longer being given to things like missionary forces and things like that. The impact is great when people don't meet together. And so that's what I want to challenge you with today. That's what we challenge with us here today in Hebrews chapter 10, is how are we able to meet? How are we able to draw near? What is the blessing that comes from drawing near? And how do we get to participate in this glorious habit of meeting together? In Hebrews 10, we see an exhortation that will guard us, that will encourage us and challenge us, and I hope keep us in the habit of meeting together. So when we are together, we will better persevere to the end. Because did you hear how this, this verse ends? It's the habit of some, and we need to encourage one another. And let me say before, I understand there's other reasons like health and stuff like that that keep people away. And so don't, don't think I'm trying to, to chastise those that have you know, concerns like that. But I want to encourage us and challenge us here this morning. Here's where we have to start. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 21. First, we have to start with the how. How are we even able to gather together? How are we even able, start big picture here as it does here, how are we even able to draw near to God and be worshipers? What what is the how? And, And the question, what has Christ accomplished? Listen to what it says. Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers and sisters, He's coming out of talking about how Christ is the once and for all sacrifice. There's no other need for another sacrifice. The sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Christ. He is the perfect lamb. So here's what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since... We have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to of the how, it says here that since we have a great high priest, here is the glorious news of the gospel here. You have a great high priest. Our kids just learned about this in their gospel project curriculum that they've been going through. That we have a great high priest, that we have one who is a perfect sacrifice. We have one who mediates for us at this very hour. We don't have a high priest who has died and gone on. We have a high priest who has risen, who has seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and still intercedes for us at this very hour. We have a great high priest who has, the Bible says here, who has brought us in how? To the holy places, to the fellowship of God, into the most holy places. How? By his own blood. That the perfect high priest is also the perfect lamb of God. Throughout the Old Testament, the priests were necessary to represent the people before God and make atonement for sin. However, Because these priests were not sinless themselves, they could not fully and perfectly pay the price for the sins of their fellow man. For this reason, the greater perfect high priest, Jesus, was needed, and only he could satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. And we are told here in Hebrews, we are reminded here in Hebrews, he has done that for us. We have a great high priest. You have one who pleads for us because we had flesh and blood. He says in Hebrews chapter 2, he took on flesh and blood that he might be the perfect mediator for us so that he might bring us to God. And he's done this by his own blood. This is what all the Old Testament is building up to. On the day of atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could go into. And he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial animal on the Ark of the Covenant, and there we were reminded that the only way for us to live as lawbreakers is for blood to cover our sins because the wages of sin is death. And now if you are in Christ, brothers and sisters, you are covered with the blood of the Lamb. And when the righteous, holy God, high priest, looks upon you, he sees the blood of his Son and is satisfied. And he loves you as his own son. And he says to you, as he says to Christ, in you I am well pleased because of the work of Christ. That's good news. This is what Christ has accomplished. We have a high priest. Then he has made a way all throughout the Old Testament. There is the great keep out curtain. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there were cherubim that guarded the garden that they could not return to God's presence. When the tabernacle was built and then the temple was built, there was a curtain with the cherubim on them that reminded them that because of sin, they could not go into the presence of God. 
But now in Christ Jesus, do you know what it's, do you see what it says in here in verse 20? He has made a new and living way. He opened for us through the curtain. When he died, the curtain was split in two. That is through his flesh. As he gave up his flesh for us, he made a way for us to God. And that's a living way because he was raised again for all of eternity. And whereas earthly priests could only serve for the duration of their lifetime, Jesus holds this position forever. It is a new and living way. So, since You have a high priest who has come for you and has died for you and has covered you with his own blood and he has made a way through his flesh. the, the, The only way that we could pay the penalty for our sin is for someone else to do it for us and live and give to us what he has earned and he has done that for us. Since we have a high priest, listen to what he says in verse 19. Go back up. We have a high priest, and since we have confidence. This gives us all the confidence in the world. Have you ever been in a moment where your confidence was absolutely shattered? I have a very distinct moment when I was about 11 years old. We went up to Alexandria, Louisiana to play in the state RA basketball tournament, and we had a ringer of a team, and we just knew that we were going to take that tournament home. For all the RAs all around in the state, um, that's a church program, uh, scout-like in, in essence, but it's a church program, and we had a team, and this team practiced, as all teams in the New Orleans metro do that are that age, on eight and a half foot goals. That's what we played on. So that's what we practiced on. We walked into the gym. I can still see the gym in Alexandria, Louisiana, and the goals were 10 foot tall. So you can imagine for kids like us, we were not prepared for that. We were not prepared to walk in the gym and see that, and our confidence was absolutely shattered. If I remember right, we scored two points that first half, and they scored a bunch. And we only lost, by the way, we only, uh, this has nothing, uh, this is just a moment of pride here. We, <laughs> well, our confidence was shattered is the illustration, right? So just hold on to that for a second. Let me have a moment of pride here for a second. We only lost that game by two points and we came back through the loser's bracket and took home third in the state and we won state the next year, by the way, just so you know. But for that moment, I don't know where that trophy is, probably somewhere in the attic. Our confidence was shattered. Because we weren't ready for that. We didn't measure up to that. We hadn't practiced on that. But the Bible is telling us here that we have confidence to enter the holy places because we walk in, we are unprepared. We don't have what it takes, but Christ does and he has imputed that righteousness to us. And so no matter how you walk into that gym, you do it on the account of Christ. No matter what your background is, how good and moral you've been, or how messed, you've, messed up you've been, you walk in and your confidence is Christ in Christ alone, and that's the only way. Have confidence. Have confidence in Christ. So since we have a high priest, since we have confidence in that high priest, the perfect righteousness son of God, and since, it doesn't say since here, but look at what it says at the verse of it. So, so we have a high priest, we have confidence. Look at the end of verse 21. We have a high priest, look at what it says here, 
over the house of God. Here's what I want to start driving at here. This is a communal thing. Yes, we are to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We all must give an account for our lives. We are not saved by showing up to church or being part of a church. Uh, we are saved uh, based, on, uh, you know, based on the work of Christ alone, but we all must give an account. We all must respond individually to the gospel. But this doesn't mean that we stand alone, that when God f- saves us, he brings us into a household. Do you see that there? Those who are confident, those who are drawn near, those who have a high priest, they are part of a household. So what has Christ accomplished? Since he is our high priest, he is our high priest. And since he has given us confidence by what he has done for us, and since he has formed this supernatural community, we are a community of blood-bought people who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we have all the confidence in the world to draw near. And since we are citizens of another kingdom, a citizens of the heavenly places, since we are a supernatural community bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, how do we respond? So since he's our high priest, he's brought us in through his blood, We have that confidence. Since he has formed us into the household of God, who he is over. Big point number two, how do we respond? Listen to the blessing of this. There's three let us statements here that we see here. Do you see them? First one's in 22. So since all of this is true, since we are the supernatural community, you see in verse 22, "Let let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Since we have confidence, let us draw near. And here's the language. You probably know this already as we've already talked about what a high priest is. But on the day of the atonement, as I said before, the priest would come in and and sprinkle the mercy seat, resulting in the propitiation for the sins of the people. But unlike the blood of bulls and goats, now our conscience is purified. We are cleansed from sin at our core, and our hearts have been cleansed by his blood. So therefore, draw near to him with one another. Draw near to him. That's what he desires you. That's what, he, that's what he's made a way for you to do, to draw near to your Father. And not only draw near, but he says it again with full assurance, with confidence, with not being intimidated, but but coming in. Why? What does it say? Where's our assurance come from? Do you see it underlined this full assurance of faith? It's, it's It's not in my works. It's in the work of Christ. Faith is the victory. Faith is the way, trusting in the work of Christ. And so we all together, we, we, we kind of see it when we draw near together. Yes, there's this, this an individual call to this, but there's a corporate call. When we draw near to God as we gather on Sunday mornings, we draw near in faith and we look at brothers and sisters, we should at least say, oh, you too, you're drawing near because you've trusted in Christ. Your assurance to draw near is through faith in Christ and faith and faith alone. It's all on the account of Christ. So draw near and make much of Jesus that he's made a way for you and you and you and you and you to draw near. You get to see that when you show up together. 
And that encourages you for the day that's drawing near. The day of our Lord. So let us draw near. And listen to what else it says in verse 23. So together, together let's draw near. And together let's hold fast the confession of our hope without favor, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So let's hold fast together. Do you ever think about that, that the very fact that you show up and might encourage someone, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but on a Sunday morning, that might be the very reason that they hang on for another week. That might be the very reason that they make it through another, that might be the very reason that God uses for them to make it through another trial. How many people like that have been part of your story? Pastors feel that sometimes. I show up some Sunday morning, I'm like, what in the world have I got myself into? Not because of you, just because of the challenges of pastoring. And then I see your faces, and I hear your words, and I talk about, you get to hear about your week, and I'm like, oh, this is glorious. It helps me to hold fast. Hold fast to what you know to be true. Hold fast. What he's talking about here is the confession of our faith. We draw near, and then what we believe is, is crucial. At, at the very baseline, what he's talking about, the confession is that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus saves, that Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is our high priest, and Jesus is our only way. This is the confession of our hope because our hope is Christ and Christ alone. So we hold fast to that without wavering. Why? We draw near, did you notice this, with full assurance of faith. And he says it again, we hold fast. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. So together we help each other to hold fast to Jesus and his faithfulness that he will never let us go because the one who is faithful is the one who can bring you all the way home and he will bring you all the way home. Hold fast to the one who's holding fast to you. You get to do that for everyone each and every week as you show up. That's glorious. That's a blessing, isn't it? Let's draw near together. Seek the Lord together. Let's hold fast together. And look at verse 24. Now we're getting into our one another's. Verse 24. And let us, so the third let us, do you notice this here? Let's consider how to stir up one another. (laughs) Doesn't end there, thankfully. Stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting the meeting together as is the habit of some. So the summation as he's getting to the end of this paragraph is it's implied and it's necessary that we meet together in order to experience these things. It's the habit of some. But here it is again. But encouraging one another. As we stir up one another to love and good works, we encourage one another all the more as you see the day, the second coming of Jesus drawing near. And so as we gather together, we draw near together, we hold fast to the confession together, and now we consider one another how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. How we consider to encourage one another to persevere in our faith. Because faith is one of those things that you cannot do alone. We need one another that we might be stirred up to love and good deeds. Here's what it means about a church, a health church, 
we should be busy bringing out the best in one another. That we show up and we are better together and we are better for having been stirred up to follow Jesus that week. Healthy churches bring out the best in one another. They don't stir up conflict and stir up one another to chaos. They stir up one another to love and good works. And they stir up one another so that the others might be encouraged. Christ calls his followers to bring out the best in each other. So believers must actively and verbally stir up one another to love and good works. So let us consider how to stir up one another as we hold fast, as we draw near. And then he says here, let us meet together with one another. I'm inserting that one another. I'm not adding to scripture here, but for the sake of our time together, don't neglect to meet. Said positively, meet together with one another. That you need someone to stoke that fire in you, to keep you on the right track, to help you get up when you don't want to, to shake you occasionally and tell you to get it together. You need to be part of a team with teammates who help and encourage and push and love and encourage and rebuke as you see the day drawing near. So let us consider how to do this Together, Here are some things just through studying this week that I came across about what happens when we meet together. How do we encourage one another? How do we stir one another up? Here's a few things. One thing that you will see when we meet together, as you encourage one another, as you stir up one another, you will see when we meet together, you will see the Spirit of God working through other people. And that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We need, the, we need, we need the, the head who is Christ. We need the, the, the arms and the legs. And, and all of the, we need all of the pieces working together in the body of Christ. And so when we get together, you see the Spirit of God working among one another. When we get together, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 seems to allude to this, that we will see manifestations of God's presence, not to get kind of weird here, but... The Bible says that when unbelievers come among you and they see you worshiping, they will know that the Spirit of God is among you. That will be the only explanation. God's Spirit is among them. They will be able to see that in some way. Isn't that a blessing? Do you, do you want to see God at work among us? We've got to get together. We've got to make this a habit, as many of you already do. So if you already make that, see the joy of this. Don't lose the habit. Don't casually drift away as some 40 million people have done. We get to hear God's voice through preaching. We get to address one another through singing. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that you know, one of the ways that we get to encourage one another and exhort one another is through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So why do we dedicate a big part of our service to singing is because of that. Why do I encourage you to sing every week whether you can or not? Part of the reason I've been sitting up here because I want you to see me singing. And get, I can't sing. But I'm going to sing. So the Bible says I, I encourage you with that. With the words. And maybe someone this morning was encouraged. Maybe uh, they're going through difficulty or sickness. But, but they know now. They have proclaimed again. They've heard brothers and sisters around them proclaiming. These dead bones will rise again in the resurrection. And so I can face uncertain days knowing I'll be with Christ 
forever. And he will raise me to life on that last day to dwell on this earth forever. These dead bones will sing and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And I can make it through this trial because a brother or sister sang that into your ears. Let's not neglect that. And we get a foretaste of heaven as God brings all sorts of people around his throne to sing and to worship. We get a glimpse of the heavenly Jerusalem as we enter into the house of God, not in a meeting place, but as the house of God assembles, the people assemble. You know that, right? What makes this place special is because it's the meeting house of the people of God. Why of all this, the day is drawing near. Christ is coming again. That's glorious. We also know that with the coming of Christ, there are trials that come. There's difficulties that come. There's pain that comes. There's sickness that comes. There's, there's tears that come. There, there's sin that clings so closely to us and weighs us down. And I don't know about you, but I need encouragement. I need somebody to shake me every once in a while. I need someone to encourage me. I need someone to stir me up, not, not aggravate me, but to stir me up to love and good works, to bring out the best in me. Don't you need that? Don't neglect meeting together. Don't think you're above that. And in this, you'll get a foretaste of heaven. The day of the Lord is drawing near, and we need each other. So what do we take away? One of the big things I want you to take away is your showing up matters. Big time. Don't neglect it. You might be part of someone else's story of how they make it across the finish line to the end. Don't look lightly upon that. Don't look lightly upon that. Because you sang, because you came, because you encouraged, because you encouraged them to draw near, because you helped them hold fast to the confession, because you considered how to love them, because you considered how to encourage them and to stir them up, you might have helped someone make it. So let's not neglect that habit because you might be part of That's what's so crucial about meeting here. Yeah, you can listen to music on K-Love. You can listen to preachers a lot better than me on a podcast. You can do all of that. And I think sometimes that undermines the value of the local church because we don't show up to download information. We show up to be transformed by the gathering of the people who are sitting under the preaching of the word and being transformed from one degree of glory to another as they physically hear each other sing and physically receive the word and physically encourage one another. So instead of searching for excuses, we should do everything in our power to show up for our brothers and sisters on Sunday morning. And many of you here already do that. So be encouraged by that, that yes, this is worth it is your big takeaway. This is worth it. I'm going to keep doing it. As one pastor says, Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. Keep making that Saturday night decision that I'm going to get up on Sunday morning and keep showing up for my brothers. Back to the stats I told you in the beginning. I told you the bad news about 40 million people walking away. Casually, different habits, not experiencing this drawing near, this encouragement, this stirring up. Here's the good news. Here's what some of this research is showing, and we'll, we'll end here. The research is showing that the majority of those who have de-churched, who have walked away from the church, boomers and the like, are, are still orthodox more or less in their beliefs. And the majority of them will come back with a personal invite. They will come back with a personal invite. That's what research is showing. 
And, and so maybe the takeaway for, for you is, you know, I know someone like that. I'm going to keep encouraged, like, here's the glories of showing up with the local church. Here's what I learned today in church. I, I learned about all this encouragement that can happen, and I learned that I need that. And man, I, I'm telling you, your life will be better for showing up with the local church. All it takes is a personal invite if you know somebody like that. And for as a church, I want to challenge us, what will they come back to? If they come back to these, through this door, to Riverside, will they come to a place that they want to belong, a place that is better together, a place that encourages one another and stirs one another to love and good works? Brothers and sisters, you make a decision every weekend to show up for your brothers and sisters, to show up to draw near to God together as a body to get a foretaste of heaven. You have made this a habit. And let me tell you, this is worth it. And you are part of my story and those sitting around you more than you know. So keep making that decision. Keep making that the habit. And if you know one of those 40 million who have walked away, encourage them. Come back. Christmas season's a perfect time to do that. Say, come back. Come experiencing the joy of the singing together, of hearing God's word preached together. And maybe do that as well. Let's sing loud this Christmas season to encourage one another. Let's sing with our whole hearts this Christmas season to encourage one another. Let's anticipate hearing from the Lord through whoever the Lord puts in this pulpit. Let's hear from you that you would speak to us because it's your word that's being preached. Let's go ahead and turn to the Lord and ask that these things would be so.